Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intelligence, forecasts, and strategies. Hi, I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for joining us on one of the radio stations around the country. Maybe you're watching or listening on YouTube or iTunes or the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we have a very important show for you. We're going to talk about tax credits and incentives to power your business. And that's whether you operate an operating business or your real estate development sales business. We're going to talk about things where you can save money with cost segregation. We're going to talk about historic tax credits. We're going to talk about training and hiring tax credits. So this is going to be a very informative show. And let's start off with something I think a lot of people in the commercial real estate industry don't seem to know a lot about, and that's cost segregation. Please welcome my guest. It's Mike Donovan. Michael Donafrio. He's Managing Director with Engineered Tax Services. Michael, thanks for being with us. Good morning. Thank you. And Catherine Baisley. She's a CPA. She's with AGH, Certified Public Accountants, both here in Studio One. Catherine, thanks for being with us. Thank you. And uh, as I said in the, in the setup there, cost segregation is a way that property owners can really uh, save a lot of money. It's, it's interesting because we've all heard it's not what you make. It's what you take home, right? So tell us, what is cost segregation, Michael? Sure. Yeah, not only what you take home, but what you keep at the end of the day, yeah. uh, whether you're purchasing a property or, or, or selling that property. Um, I still think cost segregation and the related strategies overall are probably one of the most you know, misunderstood and, and uh, li- little-known strategies out there. We see it from some of our biggest and, and savviest real estate clients across the country. Um, uh, and CPAs uh, are, are telling me that a lot of the clients just aren't taking advantage of it. Um, you know, it's that strategy to just you know look at a property comprehensively, whether it's a purchase, a renovation, a, a retrofit, and see what else is available at the federal level, at the state level, even down to the local utility level, using that cost segregation strategy or you know s- segmenting the lighting electrical mechanical the plumbing the the, the utilities uh, even things like IT into its different components that can be depreciated separately and identified uh, individual cost basis so if those are removed we can write those off immediately if those components going in are energy efficient like new lighting new HVAC new roofs um, there's federal and state level tax credits for those. So that's, that's what the overall cost segregation strategy is. Uh, very important on a purchase to get those you know, initial um, asset classes identified and depreciated correctly from the beginning. Um, but also at sale, um, you know, the CPAs will uh, be able to really help save uh, or net as much in, in the client's pocket at the end of the day. What are some sample savings that you've seen from cost seg studies? Sure. I mean, your typical, um, what's, whether it's an office building or strip center, um, a, a retail or mixed use or, or, or multifamily building, they're in similar ranges of what we see in terms of savings. Um, on average, we can move about uh, 20 to 25% of most properties to five-year asset classes. That's all the things, if you, could, if you took a building and you shook it, everything that we could get to fall out, mm-hmm. you know, all the, all, the, all the fixtures, all the, all the flooring, all the extra uh, lighting, all, all the things in a building that we can identify as, as, quote, personal property from a IRS definition. Um, that goes into a five-year category. That's about, say, 20% of most properties. Wow. So it's a lot. Yeah. And then there's another 10 to 15% of what's called 15-year property. That's land or site improvements. Parking lots, it could be signage, it could be landscaping. Everything outside the building and on the property is 15-year. So you basically end up with three different depreciation schedules, which really maximizes your 
um, you know, your, your net present value of those deductions. So you have your five-year asset classes, which is about 20% of every property. You got your 15-year asset classes, those site improvements, 10 to 15% of most buildings. Um, and then the rest goes into 39-year property, if it's a commercial building or 27 and a half year if it's a residential building, like a apartment complex. So my, what might be the cost of a cost segregation study and then my tax savings, say, in the first two years? Cost segregation costs, you know, think of it as, as uh, a more detailed, uh, maybe uh, appraisal or valuation analysis, but used as a, as a different tool for, for federal and state and other tax and accounting reasons. Similar price ranges, you know, it could be uh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve thousand dollars usually in that range for, you know, for most uh, projects that we do. We do hundreds of them a month across the country, all different types of assets, uh, like we talked about from strip centers to your typical smaller triple net property like a Walgreens or a, um, or a Dollar General to a, you know, very large office buildings like we're in or, or sports stadiums, uh, NFL stadiums and Major League Baseball stadiums for the families and investor groups involved. Well, you know, I've done a couple of cost segregation studies on a couple of my properties, and I was really amazed at the savings, and it was pretty incredible. And it's, it's a wonder to me that more people aren't doing it. And Catherine, you're a CPA. Why aren't more accountants working with engineers like this to, to do more of these studies? And there's some great benefits, right? I think there are a lot of accountants that aren't very familiar with cost segregation studies, mm-hmm. and a lot of owners of property don't see the benefit if they're going to be selling the property soon or if they don't think they can take the accelerated depreciation if they have passive investors that maybe not might get not the immediate benefit but you can get the benefit immediately because you're at, you're moving deductions into current time and so something that would be depreciated over 39 years you're moving into a deduction now and that would be an ordinary deduction so you're, that's 39% versus it when you sell at 20% capital gains rates, you're getting the differential on that. And you can free up those losses if they're suspended for those non-active real estate people, and they get the benefit as well. And that could be big dollars in some of these oh, large huge, properties. Huge, huge so dollars. The properties that we just did analysis on mm-hmm. yesterday, uh, the average, quote, small property for you know, a million bucks, uh, we, were, we were finding an additional four to $500,000 of depreciation in just the first year. Wow. At, at an average tax rate of 35%, that's big dollars of what so depreciation So what price worth. range property is, is kind of the minimum that makes sense? That's another thing that people get stuck on. They yeah. think their property's too small yeah. to really get a good benefit. You can get a benefit on any property. It could be a couple hundred thousand dollar investment uh, single family home. It could be a dentist uh, office. It, so th- there is no minimum. Let's run the numbers and let the, the numbers speak for themselves. We always do a complementary benefit analysis to tell you what the immediate and over the next five years that benefit's going to be. So ideally, over a couple, you know, over half a million dollars is is excellent for cost seg. Okay. But it's not just about that immediate benefit. Okay. It's it's looking at the, um, you know, looking at when that property is going to be sold and if any improvements are going to happen. Everything that comes out of that property, this is huge. Everyone forgets Everyone about what's this. called abandonment and disposition credits. Mm-hmm. So when you put in new lights on that property you purchased or you put in a new HVAC new system, mm-hmm. you can't value and write off the, 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 the cost of the old system that's being removed. It has value. It has useful life, potentially. But it's it's, it's embedded into, into the building. cost of the building that everyone forgets. And even the best CPAs can't identify that cost without a proper cost seg study. Right. So then you get benefits on the, the, the property from a purchase. You get the improvements. You get the disposition and, and abandonment credits. 
And then we can also save money on insurance because we have the cost of everything identified. And I like what you said there. So we can reach out to you and get an idea up front of what our savings might be and what the cost may be before we even commit. Every time. Uh, that's fantastic. It's like refinancing a property. That's you, fantastic. You just run the numbers. Now, what if some people are running businesses out there and they're leasing real estate? Uh, can cost seg work for them or is it really for property owners? Absolutely. Uh-huh. I mean, if, they're, if they're leasing property, maybe, maybe, they're a, maybe they're a tenant, maybe they're a restaurant in a, mm-hmm. in a strip center or they're, uh, they have an awesome studio within, a, within, a, within an office building. You still have your, your tenant improvements that you're writing off or depreciating. There's still that 20 to... 30% of five-year property within your tenant space, um, and then you have 15-year property. So absolutely, it works for tenants, uh, as well as property owners as well. All right, and tell us about 179D. Now, you, <laughs> if I understand this right, you were saying you might take something that you might be depreciating over 39 years, and you could bring it into one year? I, I mentioned <laughs> energy tax credits, okay. and everyone gets excited about energy tax credits, you know, they think of sustainable things outside of the buildings, which could be great, wind and solar and geothermal and microturbines. There are still federal tax credits for those things and state, but this is different. I'm talking about in the building. I'm talking about lighting systems, HVAC systems, roofs and windows, which everybody improves in a building at some point. Right. There's a federal tax incentive for that for commercial buildings called 179D. Think of that capital letter D as in deduction, because that's what it is. <laughs> Not a credit. Everyone still calls it a credit. Right. That's sixty cents to a dollar eighty per square foot tax incentive on the new lighting system that came in, the new HVAC system, or the new roof. So it goes from sixty cents to a dollar eighty, depending on what systems are improved. And again, we can always do an analysis to pre-qualify what exactly it, it, it what the benefit is. Um, that's one seventy nine D for commercial buildings. The, the flip side of that is 45L for residential buildings. So if it's an apartment building, as long as that residential property is three stories or less, there's a $2,000 tax credit per unit. And this is on all, both 45L and 179D, this is all new buildings placed into service, as well as renovations and retrofits to existing property. Very, very little awareness of these incentives. And the shocking thing, it's been around since 2006. So the, the statute of limitations are, we can go back to 2006, and this is, uh, was just brought back to life in our last uh, uh, tax extenders bill at the end of 2015. So it's extended through the end of 2016. So we can go, everything we're talking about today, Mike, we can go back to 2006. That's fantastic. If not farther. Yeah. On properties that were purchased, built new, renovated. Why not pick up any additional benefit that you can All right, we, so you're not running out of the studio after this. We're <laughs> going we're to talk about this. All right, well, Catherine, Michael, thanks for joining us here today. Appreciate you being on the show. Appreciate Thank you. you. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on tax credits and tax incentives. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com.
Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today, our topic is tax credits and incentives for powering your business. Please welcome my guest, David McMillan. He's president of McMillan and Associates. He's joined us here in Studio One. David, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Michael. Well, we appreciate you being back. I mean, last time I had you on the show, we got some great information for for business owners and, and real estate people. And before we get started, I know my, 99% of my listeners are, and viewers are going to know this, but every time I read about tax credits, it seems like there's an indication that maybe people aren't that familiar with how great tax credits are compared to tax deductions. What's the brief difference? Yeah, absolutely. A deduction just lowers the amount of money you're taxed on, mm-hmm. and a tax credit is actually a reduction dollar for dollar on what you owe to the government. So yeah. essentially, every dollar a tax credit is another dollar back in your pocket. Yeah. I remember when I was 16, I thought a deduction was a tax credit. And when I found out, no, it's just you're not taxed on that amount of income, I'm like, well, that's not good. <laughs> I like the idea of tax credits. Right? It's, I hear this all the time. I was talking yeah. to a manufacturer yesterday mm-hmm. and they said, oh yeah, but we're, we're getting some tax stuff. We're, we're, we're claiming those credits. And it turns out they're just getting a deduction, not getting any credits. Oh yeah. Typical response. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what are the kind of the main uh, areas of, or basic types of tax credits that people should think about that run businesses. Yeah, absolutely. So there's three things that we see across the country. So first type of tax credit or incentive is all around negotiated tax credits. And this is usually where uh, new companies are expanding or existing companies have a big project going on. And there are some things that you can negotiate with the government because of your expansion and, and the revenue that's going to bring in. The next big bucket, which is where we typically focus on, are what I call business activity credits or earn tax credits, where your business hires somebody, they add jobs, they do some R&D, they do some learning, and that triggers the tax credit. And then there's also tax credits that people can buy and invest in. You know, a great example, we're here in Georgia, um, but a lot of states have this uh, for tax credits for movies. Right. You can invest into a movie project, um, and it's more on a owner individual basis, but that's the third type of incentive, things that you can buy or invest in. Right. And I've invested myself in, in those types of tax credits, and they've seemed to, to work out well. Well, let's talk about, first of all, those negotiated tax credits. So, so those are basically geography-based, right? You've got to look for the right zones? That's right, yeah. One of the big ways that the government encourages economic development is by targeting specific areas to improve those areas. So you see this really all over the country. Um, they're called different things. They may be called enterprise zones, empowerment zones. Georgia has opportunity zones. But they're little pockets targeted for economic development really all over the country. And they're big dollars. Uh, we see this um, you know, here in Atlanta, one of the big stories right now is NCR is building their uh, world headquarters and they're in the middle of a nightclub and Georgia Tech's campus on one side of the street that just happens to be in one of these zones and they'll probably get millions of dollars for moving to that little specific part. That's great. Now, if my listeners in in Maine or maybe he's in Los Angeles or he's in the wherever he is in Iowa, how can he find out if you run a business? How can you find out where to find these? Absolutely. Uh, Great question. It may be a little hard, but the the two places I would have you start Mm -hmm. uh, first is go to your state's Department of Revenue website. Um, Not great for finding out how to get those tax credits and the details of them, but it's a great list that you can find every incentive that that state has to offer. But I I say the best place to look is your state's uh, economic development agency. Uh, Every state has some type of economic development, business improvement agency, and that has a a good listing and summary of the types of incentives that are available for, for that particular state. Okay. And then negotiated tax credits, David, you talked about 
or maybe they're for, for hiring or moving a, my business or expanding my business in a certain location. That's not just for big businesses, right? That's right. It, yeah. These tax credits, they're in the law. Mm -hmm. So it applies to everybody as long as you meet those requirements. And in some cases, some of these zones, you only have to create two new jobs. So while NCR may be adding thousands of jobs, you're a small business, you can add three or four jobs and still qualify for some of these tax credits. Right. Now let's talk about a few of those tax credits that are available maybe in these zones or, or maybe in, other, in, in all areas. So what about, first of all, for, for hiring credits? Yeah, so the big tax credit there is a federal program, so this applies to every, uh, every state, called the Work Opportunity Tax Credit, mm -hmm. and essentially gives businesses an incentive to hire certain types of people and get them back in the workforce. Uh, one of the big categories of this is veterans, hiring veterans who've been unemployed, a short-term, long period of time, people who are disabled or unemployed, that triggers a big tax credit worth several thousand dollars per person. Uh, another big category is hiring somebody that's been on food stamps or government assistance programs, uh, food stamps, long-term welfare. And again, the government is trying to get people back in the workforce off of these programs. But there are, um, from our research, there's over 70 million people in the country today that trigger this one tax credit. And, it's just, and this is all federal? It's all federal. And then many states have what we call piggyback tax credits. So you hire somebody who's on uh, food stamps in South Carolina and they're on South Carolina's welfare program, uh, there's another tax credit you can get. And where might you find these? Uh, again, Department of Revenue. Um, there's not one great place to look. The government doesn't make this easy, right. shocker, uh, right. to find this or to document it. But yeah. the two places to really look into this, uh, Department of Revenue's website for your state and Economic Development Agency. Okay. And what about training? Yeah, so one of the ways that the government tries to encourage, um, you know, certain types of activities is having a better skilled workforce. So many states have an incentive for learning different types of things. Uh, Georgia has a really great incentive that's available for every type of business for learning software technology. But states like California and South Carolina and even New York have some incentives for certain types of businesses. Uh, most states have they call a set of favored industries. Mm -hmm. So manufacturers, warehouse and distribution, R&D, telecom. Um, sometimes the tourism business, those are usually the industries that these tax credits most often apply to. But again, if you go to your state's Department of Revenue website or the Economic Development Agency, training and learning and having a better skilled for, skilled workforce is usually at the top of the list for what states try to encourage. Right. And that's the reason they have these tax credits, right, is to encourage businesses to move and expand in their markets. So which states are, are doing a good job with that? Absolutely. Uh, what we find is states that are most business friendly uh, tend to have the most incentives, and that's where you also see the most business growth. So here in the Southeast, the Southeast does an incredible job of uh, encouraging businesses to locate. Uh, the Area Development Magazine just ranked Georgia the number one place to do business in the country for the third or fourth year in a row. So I'd say put. Thank you, thank you very much. Yep, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, so I put Georgia at the top of the list. Uh, Nevada actually does a really good job. Uh, e Elon Musk and Tesla just. Uh, uh, have started working on a $1 billion battery cell plant in Nevada. And he said a big part of that was the incentives that Nevada was offering. So I'd say, you know, a lot of states in the Southeast um, and kind of the Midwest, Nevada, Colorado, Oklahoma, do a really great job of giving businesses a chance to grow in their state. Yeah, and you mentioned Tesla. So uh, are there also some tax credits for alternative uh 
fuel? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, using that fuel to power your business, there are incentives. Um, There's even deductions for, um, you know, if you're not taking advantage of these, go talk to your power company. But if you're using energy efficient lighting, you know, different water sources, um, solar power. And these are credits, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, And there's credits. And then there there may be additional deductions that whoever your vendor is supplying you with the alternative energy can help you take advantage of too. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a good point because you know I think there's um, a lot of real estate owners are not taking advantage of like LED lighting. That's right. And uh, you know there's companies where you can actually finance the cost of that. They'll actually do the work to change them out, and you can get some maybe get some tax credits. That's right. At least the deductions and the savings. Yeah. Because uh, I asked uh, one owner of a lot of properties why he wasn't doing it. He said, well, "We're just so busy and we're, we're thin. We don't have the people." Yep. Well, actually, there's companies that'll do the whole thing for you. Uh, right. So you do want to check it out. Take advantage of the tax credits. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more tax credits to power your business. Stay with us. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. Welcome back to Tax Credits and Incentives to Power Your Business on the Commercial Real Estate Show. We have David McMillan with us. He's president of McMillan and Associates. And yes, we're talking tax credits. I'm Michael Bull. And uh, David, we just talked about how property owners may be too busy to deal with some of this and and, uh, a way to help them do that. But what about everybody else? Uh, Business owners, everybody seems to be busy. How can we plan for this? Yeah, absolutely. I think first part is identify what you're missing. Um, and this may mean you doing some research on your own, talking to your CPA, uh, talk, engaging a third party firm, but first you need to figure out what you're missing. And then once you figure out what's out there and what you're eligible for, then you can start figuring out a plan to capture this stuff. Many, most of these tax credits actually have some type of time requirement or uh, documentation requirement that if you're not ahead of the curve, you're behind the curve, or you may have missed uh, some of these tax credits based on the deadline. So I think first is just identifying what's out there and that's not easy. Even yeah. if you find a list of tax credits that are out there, doesn't mean you can make sense of, you know, are you eligible? Are you the right industry? Have you done the right things to actually get the credit before you start doing the work to get the money? Yeah. And is there any software apps or anything that might be helpful? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we actually developed a platform mm-hmm. called Tax Exploration to help companies identify these mm-hmm. credits and track it. Um, but there's lots of tools that are out there. Um, you know, you can use spreadsheets, uh, you can use our software, you can do things manually. Um, what we find is you got to find something that fits in your culture. Yeah. So if you're a real manual company, maybe doing a manual process to track who you hire or track R&D efforts fits. Uh, most companies are going digital, so it probably makes sense to have some type of digital platform that you can track all these tax credits, keep up with the documentation, keep up with the forms that need to go uh, with your tax return. Um, that's what our software does. Yeah. Uh, allows people to do it all in one place. Great, we got a shameless plug in there. That's good. <laughs> and well, that's why you know about this topic. I mean, you, you've done it all your life and you've created software for it and that's what your company yep. does. So let's get into uh, R&D. 
uh, research and development kinds of tax credits because that's that's expanded recently, hasn't it, with the PATH Act? Yeah, it's uh, R&D is a huge opportunity for companies. The, the two people that we see most often uh, applying for this tax credit are one is manufacturers and the other are people who create and develop software. Uh, it could be software that you develop on your own uh, for your own internal use or product that you sell externally. Uh, I actually would say we see more companies getting tax credits for uh, software development now because there's systems that don't fit their business and so they're forced to develop it on their own. That's what we did. I mean, we, we took advantage of this tax credit ourselves. Yeah. There wasn't anything out there that did what we could, what we needed it to do. So we went on a journey to develop it ourselves. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. And we're, we're looking at one of the technologies that we're looking at right now that we're implementing just doesn't do exactly what we want. And I'm like, I can't, as a, look, if I can get the technology company to change it to what I want, they'll have a great piece of software. That's right. <laughs> if I can get them to listen to me, right? And that's what I think, you know, using tax credits to plan your next business move, I think is really important. Yeah. Business owners, you, know, you probably already filed your tax return or you're filing your, your mm -hmm. personal returns now, so mm -hmm. you probably have stroked a check to yeah. the government. That amount probably isn't going down for, for businesses regardless of what president gets in there next. Yeah. So I think using tax credits to your advantage and planning, whether it's we've got to move, okay, what's the best place to move that's going to get us tax credits right. or hey we need we have a software decision do we need to buy something uh, off the shelf do we need to develop it ourselves can we get a tax credit what's the roi for doing it ourselves and getting the tax credit versus buying something off the shelf good point and another cost that a lot of businesses are it's a big item uh, on their on their uh, list is health care are there some tax credits there, there are um you know admittedly so by hillary clinton and um you know the people who designed this law there is a health care tax credit for small businesses but it's really not designed well the more employees you have and the more money you pay your employees the less tax credit you get which seems a little backwards and and it is yeah. um surprised as the government did this um but you know so unfortunately for larger companies more than 25 employees there's really not any incentive on on that side yeah. to help you out yeah you have to have gone down a pretty narrow path that's right, right. <laughs> to have, have qualified for that one but the government knows about this i mean uh, the, that's one of their items is to make to have an incentive for companies to provide this so i, I think we'll we'll see something change with that tax credit uh, in 2017 or 18. Okay. What if my company started a pension plan? Um, depending on the state, there are some tax credits mm -hmm. for starting pension plans. Uh, even things like providing childcare to your to your employees, you can offset the cost of that. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of states they want to encourage these things to happen. The government does, so there are incentives that are out there. Um, you just got to find what are they, make your list, and then the next thing is figure out how are you going to do it. Do you have time to do this yourselves? Um, depending on what stage of growth you're in, you may have time, you may not have time, right. uh, and then figure out who's going to do it. Right. Yeah, so you mentioned child care. That can be a big one for some of these companies that are, that are providing child That's care right. for them. In some cases, you can offset 75% of the cost wow. of providing child care. There are even tax credits for uh, giving training to your employees, you know, sending them to get their GED or mm -hmm. get some basic skills training yeah. uh, for, for uh, tax credits. Yeah. Well, David, thanks for joining us. We appreciate you being in Studio One today. Absolutely. Thanks, Michael. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on tax incentives and other incentives to grow your business. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. 
Are you in commercial real estate brokerage? Check out Apto. Created by and for commercial real estate brokers, Apto is the leading web-based platform for managing relationships, properties, listings, deals, and back office. Visit apto.com slash CRE show. Commercial real estate owners defer thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of tax dollars through cost segregation. I recommend Ernst & Morris. Call 1-800-COST-SEG or visit costseg.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about tax credits and other tax incentives to power your business. Please welcome my next guest. It's Greg Rumekis. He's a partner with Cone Resnick, and he's joining us on the phone today. Greg, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me today, Michael. Greg, one of the things that commercial real estate people like to do is save tax dollars, right? It's, a, it's what we have at the end of the day. So I'd like to get some tips from you, and specifically if you give us some tips on historic tax credits, because that's a kind of a great way for people to take maybe some older buildings and, and turn them into something nice and, and also create some tax credits, right? Correct. Uh, the historic tax credit program uh, at the federal level is written into the tax code and it allows owners of, of real estate to earning tax credit and dollar-for-dollar reduction of their tax due uh, for the rehabilitation of a historic building. Additionally, there are majority of, there's a large number of states in, in, in that have a state historic tax credit program that can be married with the federal program. Generally, when you look at the federal program, there really are three ways that a, a building can qualify to for, for the historic tax credit. Um, the first is that the building is already registered on the National Historic uh, Registry. Uh, additionally, a, a building can be included in a historic district and be a qualifying and attributing building uh, to that historic district. Or a building simply could have been uh, built and placed in service before 1936. Uh, there are differences with respect to the credit. The first two uh, methods generate a 20% historic tax credit. The last method uh, of just having a building that was built in place in service before 1936 only generates a 10% uh, historic tax credit. Okay. So give us some example, Greg, of how this might work, because I think one of the things that people are having a little struggle with in the capital stack is that MES piece, right? The lender wants to give us a low loan-to-value uh, first mortgage, and equity likes to come in with the equity, but kind of that middle piece, can you use tax credits to kind of help in that area? Michael, that's a great question, and that's really where it all comes to play is the capital stack, and it's really making sure that developers uh, really understand their capital stack and their needs. And generally, the historic tax credit, both at the federal level and the state level, really has been used to fill that development gap. To your point, in, in commercial real estate these days, you know, most lenders are looking at, and especially in a rehabilitation situation, they're going to be looking at loans probably in the neighborhood of anywhere between 60 to, to 70% loan to value on that rehabilitation cost, which leaves you know, a large gap to be funded. And certainly, you know, a lot of that gap has to be funded either with equity or, to your point, it's going to have to be uh, filled with some type of mezzanine financing. Well, the historic tax credit and the structure of the deals, it, it allows for an investor to come into the deal and bring equity for the value of the historic credits that help you know, fill that development gap. 
So it's one, it's either going to fill and take place, uh, take, take uh, some of the uh, developers' equity out of the capital stack, or if the developer you know, uh, has a very solidified capital stack and is comfortable with their capital stack, what the historic credits can do, the, the equity coming in for the historic credits, what it then allows is for the developer to look at leveraging the debt down. And so now maybe they're sitting in a situation where they're fine with their equity, but the historic credit equity can leverage the debt down, and maybe the debt's sitting at 50 to 55% loan-to-value, which gives the developer a significant amount of flexibility. And certainly, you know, if there's a downturn in the economy, we know how interest rates and debt can affect real estate. And can these tax credits be sold? No, they cannot. They it cannot. is one of the things, when you look at the, 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 the way the program was written, it was written for the owners of real estate to, to benefit from this credit. So the credits cannot be sold in, in, at the federal level. There are certain states that have the, the detachable credits um, that can be moved between individuals. But from the largest portion being the federal credit, it isn't, it, the credits aren't sold. What it is is there will be – the real estate will be formed into a partnership, and you will bring an investor as a partner into that partnership. And the benefit of the historic tax credits will flow out to them. And for that benefit, they will make equity contributions into the partnership, um, like any owner uh, within a partnership or partner in a, in a partnership. Okay, that's great. So can you give us an example? I think uh, you'd mentioned to me that uh, you're involved in a hotel deal. So most of, most of the work, when you look in the marketplace right now, I, I happen to, my specialty happens to be the hotel sector. Uh, I'm actually the firm's national director of lodging, so spend a lot of time in that sector. And a lot of, uh, a lot of what we see, certainly hotels get, uh, are, are done quite a bit with the credit. One, because generally they tend to tell a great story, uh, especially in the boutique and uh, lifestyle industry, you know, where the hotel is looking to really immerse somebody in a experience and having a historic building normally in a you know gentrifying area within an urban setting really helps them develop that story that they're looking to uh, provide to their or the, the story and the experience they're looking to provide to the guests so a lot of hotels do get done with it but it's not certainly you know the, the program is really applicable to all real estate um, as long as it's an operating business. And so, for example, commercial real estate in terms of office buildings um, as well as uh, residential, they all get done. For example, besides the probably six or seven hotels that I'm currently working on, I have a um, market rate uh, apartment uh, project in Philadelphia. The Additionally, you know, Besides market rate, one of the programs that is, you know, that the historic credits can be actually married up with is the low-income housing tax credit program as well. So, you know, it allows for a developer in the low-income arena to also not only use the low-income credits, but use the historic credits to get a, a project done. Okay. Well, great. We're going to take a short break. When we get back, sure. I'm going to ask Greg about some tax tips to close the show that you don't want to miss. So stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Would you like to shake hands with commercial real estate decision makers? Well, look for the tab Upcoming Conferences at the website interfaceconferencegroup.com. That's interfaceconferencegroup.com. 
Exceligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Ball, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today, we're talking about tax credits and other tax incentives to power your business. My guest is Greg Romankus. He's a partner with Cone Resnick. And I, Greg, I'd like to kind of finish up this show with some, some quick tips, if you will, for people who may be in the commercial real estate business. Sure, Michael. Uh, I think when you look at the commercial real estate sector and you look at you know doing deals i think the key to uh, success is really having a great team behind you and that's not only your internal team but it's your external team made up of your attorneys your accountants and your consultants making sure that you have the right people in place understanding what your desired outcome is for any specific individual project but certainly for your your business as a whole and when you look at that team i think you know one of the other you know keys to success is in commercial real estate is deal structuring, making sure that when you're looking at a specific deal, that the structure is a perfect structure for not only the developer, but also the investors who he or she are trying to bring to the table. It really partners up with the the first tip, which is having a great team behind you, making sure that the accountants and attorneys understand what you're looking for, what the investors are looking for, to make sure that the deal structure makes sense and that both parties' interests are protected, both the developer and the investors, and making sure that the flow of the economics through the deal during its life cycle makes sense for both parties and that there is a exit strategy at the end that allows for both parties to exit uh, in an amicable fashion. Um, additionally, when you look at the final piece of, in my opinion, looking at uh, any type of real estate deal, structuring it, I think the final piece is really understand your capital stack. As we talked earlier about, you know, the historic tax credits being able to be, you know, a, a portion of your capital stack. There are a lot of incentives that exist in the marketplace, whether it's TIF financing or it's, uh, again, federal or state historic tax credits or low-income housing tax credits, depending on the real estate class. But there are a lot of incentives that exist in the marketplace and making sure that you've turned over all those potential incentives and have investigated them all to see how and if they can play in your capital stack. The more, the more options that are out there, the less equity that you know a, a developer is going to have to put into the deal. Right, and that increases your turns. I like that. Uh, you know, look at all the incentives and everything out there. Make sure that you've included all that. Was one of your tips. One was the deal setup, the entities of, of how you're setting this up at the beginning. And I like what you mentioned about hey, understanding your exit strategy when you go into these deals. And you, yeah, you got to have a great team. And so, so Greg, what are some uh, one of the one or two top mistakes that you see people making mistakes that we should avoid in the commercial real estate tax world? I think it's looking at, um, you know, maybe in most cases a developer, looking at the cash flow and looking at the returns that they are uh, projecting for investors and promising returns that are too high um, and or guaranteeing too high returns to to get investors into the deal. And it really, it, 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 it ties the hands of the developer, especially on the back end on the exit, and maybe the, the value that they've developed in that real estate isn't necessarily going to be there for them 
that they expected because of the, the guaranteed returns uh, that they, they've made to, to certain investors. Right. And, and I guess a developer by nature is, is optimistic, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so you want to be optimistic, but uh, I guess you want to under uh, under promise and uh, over over provide, right? What's the saying? <laughs> yeah, that is, that's exactly the saying. Right. Right? Generally, what we you know when I see a, a deal that is you know has problems, it's generally because the, the, they've guaranteed certain uh, returns to investors that have to be paid. And yeah. They're usually paid on the back end of seller refinancing, which obviously takes money out of developers' pocket, and usually that money is going to be used to do the next deal in line. Great. Well, Greg, thanks for joining us. We appreciate you being on the show with us today. Michael, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. If you'd like for more information from Greg, visit their website. That's Cone Resnick. And uh, be sure and join us next week. We'll have another great show for you. We appreciate you hooking up with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. They're all at commercialrealestateshow.com. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh. And join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Ernst & Morris, the leader in cost segregation. Excelligent, building data everywhere. Apto, your entire brokerage in the cloud. And Get Valuate, online investment analysis. The best thank you? A referral to our sponsors. You can find them at CREshow.com.